always speechless after a time of worship because God just enjoys it. God just says He is enthroned in our praises. And, and what you did when you were praising Him was that you were making a throne for Him. You're making a throne so worthy of Him. That's why it's so essential to worship Him. Because it just attracts Him into this house. It just attracts Him into our lives. And that is why it, we continuously say it's not about a Sunday. How beautiful it would have been if we would do this in our bedrooms. When nobody is seeing it at 2 o'clock in the morning, when you wake up and you do this, every high thing comes down and every stronghold shall be broken. And we're so used to singing that sometimes along the way we just lose meaning of what we are saying. But if you could, you know, you made a declaration over the atmosphere right now. And then tomorrow when you go back and when you're facing all these challenges and if you cannot hold on to all that you sang today then it's pointless. Every high thing must come down. Every stronghold shall be broken Amen. because he wears the victor's crown. He wears the victor's crown because he has overcome. He has overcome every impossibility. What, you, what do you think is impossible in your life? What do you think is impossible in your life? He is much above that. You can't do it by your own strength and you need God for it. Amen? Can we give Jesus a mighty, mighty, mighty round of applause? Give him the glory. Give him the glory. Give him the glory. Come on, come on. I, I just don't feel like moving into, into the word today. I just don't feel like doing this. God's heart for you is so immense. It's so big. God's heart. God's purpose, God's plan for you is so big, it's so vast, it's so unfathomable. You can't, you can't understand. If you could, you would become God. But that's how big He is. God is so amazing, God is so good. Father God, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Oh my God. just want to thank you, Lord. We can't carry the weight of your love for us, God. It just presses us, Lord. And I pray today that every word that you have for the church, it would pierce into their hearts like arrows. Arrows on fire that will keep their heart on fire for you, Lord. Not just for this day, not just for this week but it will be something that will change their lives, Lord. Change the way in which they look at you, God. 
Church, are you ready for this? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Today's sermon is titled, God in a Relationship. How many of you have gone back to Facebook and said, I am in a relationship when you were in a relationship? I can see one hand that is staring at me. When we are in a relationship, don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. We've all been in relationships, right? Yeah? Okay, all the people who have not had a relationship say, Amen. Amen. Oh, sad. <laughs> we'll pray for you. We'll make sure that you are in a relationship by the end of this sermon. Yeah? All those who have been in a relationship know what it means to change your display picture. Will know what it means to change your cover picture. Will know what it means to keep sharing pictures, picture after picture. At the mall, at the cafe, at the aquarium, whatever. You remember we did Jonah, right? Last, last Sunday we did Jonah. Quickly turn with me to Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. If it is on the projection, it will be good. Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. Can someone read it out loud? Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. Are we there? Chapter 4, verse 2. You are a merciful and compassionate God. Slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. Yeah. The God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Psalm chapter Psalm chapter 103 verse 8. Sorry? The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. Psalm chapter 145 verse 8. By now you should have just, just said something. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and filled with unfailing love. And there are five more verses like these. 
the lord is compassionate and merciful he is slow to anger and filled with unfailing love we were talking about phone screen saver right about our display picture about our whatsapp and instagram display picture about a facebook cover photo and all that can you just imagine and this is i have borrowed it from someone can you imagine what it would what it would be like if god had a facebook account <laughs> or god had a phone and there was a screen saver on it or the facebook display picture i actually borrowed this idea from pastor subhi who had written a whole post on this what who is god screen saver who would it be who could it be have you ever tried imagining will it be like a photo of the globe blue it covers it all right god is just being politically correct so i don't offend anybody one globe who could it be come on can i tell you it would be me i don't know about you guys you all look so confused i don't know why you're in church also because it would be me and i dare you to fight it fight the fact that it would be me come on think people if it is me it could also be you then you should have just gotten up and said excuse me but i think i am more important and god would have put me instead of you who is sorry <laughs> who is on god's screen saver who is on god's heart today it's not a collective globe the church okay it is you and when i say it is you i don't see you collectively i mean it is you i mean it is you i mean it is you and dare you say that you're not in a relationship our god is full of compassion full of mercy he's slow to anger and full of unfailing love if he's so filled with this where do you think he's going to pour it out or are you going just going to be content with oh i'm full let me put a lid no he is so full of unfailing love that he wants to give it out today are you with me you know there is a difference between need and want when do you need something when do you need something okay people when you lack something when do you need something do you need oxygen do you need food do you need water do you need anything else a very very churchy answer she says i need god also <laughs> need is essential you can't do without this to live another day you can't do without oxygen you can't do without water and 
at some point you can't do without food also. Want is that that you would desire to have. I want clothes. If I come in fig leaves also, you wouldn't mind. I hope you wouldn't mind. Because as long as the purpose is served, it's done. That's my clothes are my want. A house is a want. Will I die without a house? I won't. God does not need us, but he wants us. Can God survive without you? He can. So don't make yourself too important by thinking that God can't do without me. God can exist without you. But he wants you. He desires for you. His heart cannot be separated from you. You know why none of this is going to make much of a difference to you compared to all the other Sundays you heard it, other Sundays you're hearing it this Sunday also. You know why it will not make sense to you? Because God is in a relationship and we are only fulfilling a duty. Familiar? Is this familiar to you? How are we so duty-minded? You know, last Sunday we spoke about it. Relationship versus duty. Duty is something that you need to do in order to be proven right. To be accepted. Remember Jonah? Who was Jonah? Prophet? That's it, prophet. There are four chapters in the Bible based on him. Prophet is just one word. Give me four words at least. Who was Jonah? Anybody who does not know who Jonah is, this is the door for you. He was someone who, when he spoke about it, it came true. An anointed man of God. She's got all the answers that I'm coming to. He also was someone who was arrogant and proud about the fact that whenever he said something, it would come to pass. That was Jonah for you, in a nutshell. And so, when he was asked to go to Nineveh, now what was Nineveh? Nineveh is a place and? It's a great city and it was the capital of Assyria and Assyria was the Pakistan of Israelites. Assyria were the cruelest, wickedest enemies that, I love Pakistan by the way, do not get me wrong, but they were the cruelest, wickedest enemies that Israelites had at that point of time. 
and Jonah is an Israelite. Jonah is a Hebrew guy. And he is asked to go to Nineveh and prophesy to them that in three days time, this city will see ruin. Okay? And what happened? He ran the opposite direction and he didn't go to Nineveh, he went to Tarshish and he was swallowed by a fish and from there he cried out to God and three days later the fish came to land and vomited him out and after that he went to Nineveh and he preached and the city, it says the city, though it was evil, though it was vile, though it was sinful and though it was cruel, they say even the king took off his robes, put on sackcloth and he started repenting. And he gave an order saying, even the animals should not graze. Even the animals have to be off of food and the animals also have to repent so that God can have some mercy on us. That was Nineveh for you. And you know who went there? Jonah. And you know who Jonah is? He's an Israelite. And you know what the Israelites were? The chosen people of God. And you know who the chosen people of God are and what they're supposed to do? They are supposed to be children of God. What are the children supposed to do? They're supposed to be children. And they're supposed to be good children. And they're supposed to be obedient children. And they're supposed to have a father who leads them through land in the form of cloud and fire. Who does miracles. They were in the desert for 40 years and their shoes did not wear out. Their clothes did not fade. They were in the desert. They did not lack a good thing. They were always victorious. These are Israelites for you. They lived in miracles day in and day out. When in the morning they would wake up, there will be food on the floor. And all they had to do was just eat it. And when then also they cried out saying, oh, I need meat. So God said, okay, fine, have meat. Miraculously, meat used to come. And then they said, oh, I want water. And God said, okay, break open this rock. There is water. Try doing that to this wall. Church wall, no, when you break open, probably communion wine will flow. Anointed. They lived in miracles day in and day out. But you know the catch? They were stubborn, stiff-necked people. And you know why Jonah did not go to Nineveh? You know why Jonah did not go to Nineveh? There is another book in the Bible called Amos. There's a book called Amos. Amos was written at the same time Jonah was written. Jonah was during the time of Jeroboam. Amos also was during the time of Jeroboam. So after Jonah you have, after Amos you have Obedia and then you have Jonah. Okay? So Amos, the book was written at the same time Jonah was written. And Amos has nine chapters and it starts by saying 
This is an enemy of the Israelites. I will not spare him. Number one, Moab. Then it goes on to say Edom. I will not spare you. Then it goes to say uh, Philistia. I will not spare you. And, and it names every neighboring country of Israelites. And it says, you fought against my children, I will not spare you. You fought against my children, I will not leave you. You fought against my children, I will avenge you. I will avenge the Israelites. But guess what? Out of nine chapters, only one and a half chapter is for neighbors. Seven chapters is for Israel. All throughout... Amos is only telling the people of God, God will take care of your neighbors, well and fine. But what about you? Haven't you been prostituting yourself with the gods at Bethel? With the pagan gods, with the king gods, with the statues, with the Asherah poles? Haven't you been going astray? What about you? You want God to take care of your enemies? Look at yourself. What are you doing to yourself? You know why Jonah ran the other way? Don't miss this point, okay? You know why Jonah ran the other way? Because he felt that getting a city, a wicked city like Nineveh to perish was much easier than getting a city like Israel to repent. Did you get that? Did you get that? It is better that I hide myself from Nineveh and not go there and not preach so that God destroys them than for me to go tell the Israelites you are going wrong and for them to repent. They would not repent. This is the condition of the children of God. It was much easier for a wicked city like Nineveh to fall in the presence of God and say, and this by the way is a God that they have not tasted. This is a God they have not seen. This is a God that they have not even, even you know, had an opportunity to know about. This is a God of the neighboring country, Israelites. They have heard that this God apparently walks in front of them. Ah, so do our gods, right? These things on poles, these big statues, they wear gold and silver, they are decked up. You ask them for anything, they'll give you that. You ask them for money, they'll give you money. You ask them for health, they'll give you health. You ask them for healing, they'll give you healing. It happens. You don't need a God of the Israelites to heal you. What do you want today? What is it that you want? What is it that you come here for? It will be given to you. Don't come to God for that. It was easier for a city like that called Nineveh to hear that the God of Israelites is going to fight them. They did not even take a, a, a moment's um, no thinking. They did not even think for a moment that my God might save me out of all this. They didn't do that. They went and 
repented and it says God had mercy on the enemies of his children. Whereas the Israelites on the other hand, it took seven chapters of Amos to tell them this is what you've been doing. You know why? Because God is in a relationship. Whereas the Israelites were always hurrying to fulfill their duty. They're always hurrying to, full, to, to, to do something. Otherwise it's, it feels so empty, right? When do we feel good about ourselves? I'm, I'm talking about our relationship with God. When do we feel good about ourselves? Hmm? When we pray for three hours. Not me, that was not me. When we pray for three hours. And? When we worship in front of church. When we obey something that God says you should obey. We're getting somewhere, okay? When we read Bible, cover to cover if possible, in 365 days, I have Bible plan is there, tick, 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 you know, keep checking it, keep checking it, and then send a message to all of your friends, done. Today's chapter, 15 chapters I read. We feel good about ourselves, right? We feel good about ourselves when we do that? When we go out in the streets and we say, brother, Christ loves you. And the brother says, can I have some money? Brother, Christ will give you. <laughs> we feel good that we reached out to that brother in need. Told her about Christ. We feel good. We feel good about ourselves when we fill our lives with meaningless, purposeless activities. That is called duty. Because we are in this big, big cycle of trying to do things in order to please God. Okay, I'm going to tell you something a little intimate. Don't read me wrong, okay? Now, women, especially me, had a phobia against marriage. Why? Because Every time you go to meet your man, you're all decked up, right? There's lipstick, the finest shade possible. There's eyeliner. Then there's the green mascara. Then there's the matching earring. Okay? And the best shampoo. So the hair smells nice. And then there's bounce when you walk. And then there's reflection on your hair. You are doing your best to, to look good. Okay? Two years, all that I did was that, okay? Look good. Make that person feel good. Smile when he interrupts, say, oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> Make that person feel good. But what happens when you get married and you sleep on the same bed and you wake up with drool? All the eyeliner that you put for the day of the wedding blotched up on your face. 
Lipstick half smudged. Disaster. That's a recipe for disaster. The same man who fell in love with that beautiful face of yours wakes up to see a demon next to him. <laughs> the first night becomes the last night. What do you do? God did not fall in love with our fleeting beauty. That's what the Bible calls it, fleeting beauty. The same person you get married to is going to see your stretch marks. The same person is going to see your cellulite thighs. That same person is going to see hair on your body. That same person is going to see unthreaded moustache and eyebrows. And marriage does not ask you to remain presentable all the time. Marriage asks you to be in a relationship. Because when this mask is lifted off of you, that is when the true test of relationship comes. This is the same man you are going to grow old with. This is the same person who is going to keep asking you again and again, where are my glasses, where are my glasses, it's on your head. Why are you searching? Just find it out, no? Same person who is going to have grey hair. Same person who is going to be bedridden for some time. God forbid. Same person who is going to have a catheter to, you know, for, for his bodily discharges to come out. What would you do? What would you do? This is God in a relationship. Because God does not want you to feel good about yourself. That is where you are fulfilling a duty. If you come to church so you feel good about yourself, that is a duty. If you sing songs so you feel good about yourself, that is a duty. If you wake up one Sunday morning and feel like, uh, I don't feel good, you will not come to church. But God is in a relationship. You know last Sunday we spoke about Jonah and then we spoke about Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Daniel's three friends, do you know that story? Daniel's three friends, what had happened to them? Furnace, they were asked to worship a big statue, an idol, they were asked to worship a big statue and they and 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 the king told them, if you don't do that, you will be thrown into a furnace. And at the sound of the instruments, you're all supposed to bow down. So now there is a whole kingdom that is bowing down to this idol. Only three people were gutsy enough to stand up and say, I'm not going to do that. And the king said, I'm going to give you one more chance. 
the instruments are going to play and you need to bow down and you need to worship that statue. And guess what these men said? My daughter says it well. I am more powerful than that statue. She's all of three years old and she believes that a statue made of gold is no better than a three-year-old girl. I am more powerful than that statue. I don't need to worship that. I believe in a God who is able to pull me out of the furnace. And this is the best part. Even if he doesn't, I will still not worship you. That is called guts. Guts to stand up to the person you are in a relationship with. You need to be in a relationship to be able to say something as bold as that. Even if he doesn't, I will not doubt him. Even if the fires burn away even my bones, I will not worship him. Even if this means that I be, this be the end of it, I will not worship him. Why? Because my God is good enough to pull me out of the furnace even if he doesn't. I don't need to see my God in action to be able to believe him. Israelites, coming back to that. Sorry, coming back to Jonah. You have Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego who are very close to death and they still have the guts to believe in a God they have a relationship with. Versus Jonah. Jonah, the Bible says, the man was in the belly of the fish for three days. That is as good as dying. I can't stand someone with a bad stomach somewhere around me. This guy was inside that stomach. As good as dead. I don't know how people had to approach him, what he would have done to cleanse himself. But he was in the belly, stinking, with all these acids around it for three days, okay? Miraculously, he is brought out of the belly of the fish and he's alive and he's like, praise God. Now this is a man who's seen death face to face. And he can write a big journal, right? My autobiography by Jonah, Prophet Jonah, life in a big fish. He can, he can write, right? And guess what? His attitude remained the same. Near-death experience. He saw God face to face. And he went back and he had lived the same life. He had, there was no transformation in his heart. Some people are like that. Israelites were like that. They lived among God. They had God leading them. They had God being a whole fence around them. They had themselves winning wars after wars after wars. They were living in miracles. Miracle after miracle after miracle. And their attitude. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. 
This was the best Sunday in my top 10 Sundays. Next Sunday, you're not in church. That is a duty. Because I need to come to church on Sunday. Oh, the worship was so good. And you go back home, sit, sit, sitting and crying the same tears. My God has overcome. And then go back, same boss. Same colleagues. Someone here has a complaint. Bangalore people are so incompetent. Delhi was so com competitive. You felt like working with people. Here people are so lazy. No point in working with these people. I am the best. I am the best. And you go back into that workplace, you go back into that home, husband also problem, wife also problem, three children screaming at the top of their lungs. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, you have testimonies, you have God working in you, you have God working among you. Praise God, God healed my arm. Praise God, God healed my leg. He healed my stomach. He healed my headache. And God is only there. That's all that you need God for. As a wick sweeper, rub him. Please go out of the church. Done. One Sunday is done. That is the difference between an Israelite or a Jonah and... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who had a relationship with God. Rewind back to Moses. Moses, the man who led the Israelites through the desert, through the wilderness, and into the promised land. You know, Moses and the Israelites are very similar in a lot of ways. How? Hmm? Complaining. Not talking about Eileen, I'm talking about Moses. <laughs> Just kidding. I like to pull her leg, okay? She's, she's a good girl. Moses and the Israelites. Okay? Moses versus Israelites. Moses was born in Egypt. Israelites were born in Egypt. Moses grew up in Egypt. Israelites grew up in Egypt. Moses was under the Pharaoh. Israelites were under the Pharaoh. Moses one day realized that the, his own people were being slaves whereas he was living in the palace as the son of the daughter of the Pharaoh. Okay, His identity was much bigger than any of these, uh, you know, Tuch Israelites, you know, those frivolous Israelites. And he, was, he had that identity that I belong to the palace. But when he came out, he saw that his people were being trampled. His people were being made slaves. And you know what he did? He took law in his own hands and he killed the Egyptian slave driver. And the next day he went about doing the same thing. And the Israelites only told them, who are you to boss, about, who are you to boss over me? And this man fled. Okay? This man left Egypt and fled and lived in the wilderness for 40 years. Remember that. Israelites, slaves, living in Egypt, doing all the hard work. One day Moses comes out. So these people are now being called out of Egypt. They are in the wilderness for 40 years. 
Take a look at this. They both had the same background. Called out of Egypt, 40 years in the wilderness, had the same background. But do you see the, the difference in their response to God? Moses, when God told him, you go, I'm not coming, he said, I will not leave this place without your presence coming. God said, don't mind about the presence and all. I'll give you, you want victory, I'll give you victory. You want gold, I'll give you gold. You want whatever you want, you take it and leave. Go from here. Moses said, that's not what I want. I want something bigger and I want your presence. The Israelites on the other hand had only so much. They were so enamored by their neighbors. The grass on the other side is always greener, right? That. These Israelites had the same upbringing, had the same wilderness experience and their attitude was hollow. No change. You know why? Because when Moses got to know of his real identity, he ran. He ran. He ran from Egypt, somewhere he went. He didn't want to do anything with something that he wasn't. He was not the, the son of the daughter of the Pharaoh. He was not an Egyptian and he realized it and he chose to flee from there. The Israelites, on the other hand, kept coming back to, you know what, while we were in Egypt, we used to get such nice vegetables. While we were in Egypt, even though we were slaves, we used to get such good food. While we were in Egypt, we used to get good clothes to wear. While we were in Egypt, while we were in slavery, for them, freedom meant nothing. For them, a renewed identity meant nothing. For them, being called the children of the Most High, the rightful heir to the throne meant nothing. Because they were not in a relationship. Only God was. God was in a relationship with them. And oh, the agony of wanting to tie down the person you love. It's as good as tying a dog on the leash. Dog wants to run away and you are like pulling the dog there and the dog is pulling you here and such a big struggle. Such a big struggle. That is why every time God wants to talk to the Israelites, He uses the word prostitutes. I was supposed to have you as my wife, but you prostituted yourself away. You know why? Prostitutes give you one night stand. They give you something in exchange of something. They'll give you pleasure in exchange for money. They'll be there till the time you pay them. Someone pays her more, she will go there. Such a struggle to keep her with you. 
you can't have a relationship with her. Just randomly just think the, the people who want to gratify themselves with a woman who is not faithful to you. Those people are broken. There is no other psychological reason why they would choose to be tied with a person who is not even yours. They are broken. They have a lack. They have a need. And they're just going to fulfill it somehow. Israelites prostituted themselves with pagan gods. They had God being the king over them and they said, don't want. I need a king. Someone who builds big palaces. Someone who will have chariots. So when we go out for army, at least there's something good to look at. Something of splendor. Something that looks good. There should be white horses in front. There should be those big, big, big flags. There should be army with javelin and sword. There should be someone sitting on that big elephant. For us right now, there is no elephant. There is no horse. We just, we're just winning somehow. We don't want that. It's... For them it was not about winning but about the pomp and show. And guess what? God gave them a king called Saul. They say he was so handsome and so tall. He was the Goliath of Israelites. And then when Goliath actually came, this man was peeing in his pants sitting in the tent. Covered. This is the king that they liked. This is the king that they agreed to have. And God still said, oh no, what? I don't like this. Let me give them someone who is, who is at least capable of telling them who, what my heart wants. My heart for my children. And God brought in David. You know, they said David didn't even look like a king. And didn't even look fit to be a king. He was the youngest he was always out in the sun, so his face was not radiant. He was a dark complexioned person. And he, his hair was, because he was always out in the wilderness, he didn't have good conditioner to take care of his hair. It was a mess. He was shabby. But none of it appealed to God as much as his heart. That's the testimony that he had. He was a man after God's own heart. And you know where he got that from? From the hours of being with the lions and with the bears in solitude, away from his people, away from his brothers, in the hardship, he learned what it meant to have a relationship. Moses 40 years away from his people, away from his family, away from the comfort. He grew up in a palace. His brother was the pharaoh after some time. He was alone. He was so away 
that he learnt relationship. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. That was Moses. Because it took a moment of realization. Just a moment. He didn't have to think long and hard to come to a conclusion that he did not belong here. That he did not belong here. And he had to flee rather than being comfortable in his false identity. And there are people like that today. They know what is the truth, they know what they have to do, but somehow they're so comfortable in what they have been in. I forgot the name of the Greek scholar. I think it was Hippocrates. He had some issue in his body that led to swelling in his body. And he asked everybody a question. How do you, I forgot the question, how do you um, heal, heal water without injecting? Something like that he asked and he only found out the answer was to use evaporation. So he thought that the answer to his swelling in the body was heat. And you know where he found heat? He dug a big hole, he put cow dung into it, manure. Put cow dung and he went and he sat there, neck deep, sat there. Why? Because it was warm. Because it was nice, good feeling gives you. Guess what happened? He died on the third day. Why? Why? Cow dung. <laughs> That's why. Cow dung gives noxious fumes, enough to make fuel out of it, enough to make a gas that can catch fire. And if you keep inhaling that, you will die. That is the nature of sin. Very comfortable if, you're, if you just dip yourself in it, in cow dung. Next time you think of sin, think of cow dung. Don't call it holy, it is not. It has a lot of good properties, it has healing properties, it has this, it has that. Cow dung is cow dung. You, do want, you want to do something, do it away from your body. This man immersed himself in cow dung because it was warm and nice. It felt good. Every time something feels good, think about it. Think about it. Your life was not supposed to be for you to feel good because you end up gratifying yourself in that. Whereas you were called to have a relationship. When you feel good about yourself, you are having a relationship but with yourself. And that is not a relationship. That is called isolation. When you start doing things that feel good to you, that you start doing things that make sense to you, 
If you have not understood till now, you have not understood what it means to be in a relationship. Because all throughout, God wants to have a relationship with you. And we, for the life of us, cannot understand what it means to have a relationship. Because till date, our religion, till date, our family, till date, our pastors have only and only taught us duty. Fulfill your duties. And that is called being a prostitute. Fulfill your duties. And we will not move on from here till we understand that we are all doing some kind of duty. We won't understand what a relationship is because we've never had a proper relationship. We're all broken people. And only broken people go after prostitutes. A complete man will stay faithful to his wife and vice versa. A complete woman will know what it means to be faithful to her husband. If your wife grew fat, it's because she bore your children. If your husband has hard hands, because it's, he's providing for you. What are you running after? This is a relationship, a man and a woman and them being with each other, them being intimate and them being in love. Again, our culture is such that we've not even told, we've not even been explained the definition of love. It's not soap bubbles. It's not uh, dandelions. It's not your, uh, you know, paper, paper planes. It is not cotton candy. Those are things that you will see for three hours and you will forget and move on with life. It is not having your way. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is gentle. Try, try doing this without keeping yourself in it. Love is patient. I don't want to be patient. I don't want to be kind. He did wrong to me. I don't want to be gentle. Love is peacemaking. Not making peace with the wrong things on earth, but working towards peace with a person that is worth fighting for. And in the book of Amos, God tells Israelites, you who I have been intimate with of all the nations on earth, you Israelites, because you chose to run away, I will punish you. Yes, God does punish you. Just because he's a good God doesn't mean that he's a, he's a, arm, a God whose arm can be twisted. 
He's not a namby-pamby God. He's a good God. And He knows what good means. He knows what is good for you. Uh, my brother has a three-year-old daughter. She's naughty. Have you seen her? She's naughty. And there are times when you need to discipline her. There is a terrace, uh, there is a balcony with a wall that she can easily climb. And they stay on the fourth floor. Okay? Now, according to her, her father is not good because he does not allow her to climb the wall. So she throws a tantrum. I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. Let's say a good God just gives, oh, you want to climb the wall? Go, 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 no problem. Do you even know what is on the other side of the wall? How, how high you are from the ground? That there are, there are electric cables there. Do you know what's going to happen to you? No, God is not good. Didn't give me the wall. There are other times when she wants to climb the table. Again, warnings go in front of her. Don't climb. Don't climb. Dad is not good. Dad is not worth it. He doesn't let me climb the table also now. Are? What have I asked? Just a table, no? Finally, you just relent and you give in. And this lady climbs the, climbs the table. To do what? To jump. You know, it is no pleasure for a parent to see the child hurt itself. It is, it is more pleasurable for God to see that you don't get it than for God to see you get it and hurt yourself. There are times when he scolds his daughter and then he's hiding his face because he's laughing. Because she's so cute. And the tantrums that she throws is so cute. It's hilarious to see her expressions when she doesn't get something that she wants. But it's heartbreaking if that lady climbs on the table and jumps and hurts herself. She cries. He cries. Her mother cries. Because that is a God in a relationship. As we were worshipping, there was this whole uh, heaviness that was there. and It was, God's heart just cries for you. It just cries. All his seven chapters of warnings and threats were, were written out of a very heavy heart. He didn't, he didn't want them to be hurt. Do you know how much it hurts him when he sees them hurt? Do you know how much it hurts him when he sees you hurt? Because our God is a God who feels. He's... he's if you've got tears, he's got bigger tears. And all his tears are spent on you. 
and we still don't know what he means we still don't know what he wants to say when he says that i love you because we are only only dutiful in our love towards him so i want you to examine these these things to check if what you're doing is out of a relationship or is out of a duty the first what happens when a tragedy or a persecution or a challenge comes your way what is your response just take a moment to think there was tragedy in the life of job he lost his possessions he lost his inheritance he lost all of his children and all that he was left with was scabs on his body and a nagging wife tragedy and his response god gave god took it away blessed be his name that is a man in a relationship that is a man in a relationship what is your response when a tragedy comes your way what is your response when a persecution comes your way do you believe that he has overcome when shadrach meshach and abednego were thrown into the furnace they did not see god working when they were being tied to be thrown into the furnace they did not see god working they still did not bow down when they saw the furnace being made seven times hotter they still did not see god working the men who brought them to the mouth of the furnace to throw them inside died instantly because the furnace was so hot was so hot they still did not see god working they were thrown into the fire the flames engulfed them and then it says there was a fourth person walking among them their chains were broken and there was a fourth person who was walking among them and the look and that 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 person looked like the son of god what is your response when you have a persecution what is your response when you have not even a tragedy or a persecution just a challenge if you are in despair if you are worrying if you are anxious if you are depending on your own strength you are in a duty you don't understand what it means to run to a father you don't you don't know what it means to have a relationship second point when you are brought to a place where you have to say i'm sorry to god when you're in a place of repentance just just want you to turn to 1 john chapter 4 verse 18 1 john chapter 4 verse 18 it says there is no fear in love but perfect love cast it out fear because fear hath fear hath 
punishment and he that feareth is not made perfect in love most religions are pretty simple you do this you go to heaven you do this you go to hell including christianity because religion will teach you fear and are expression based on fear there is hell that is full fire there is heaven streets of gold and if you live a good moral life on earth you will go to heaven if you if you don't make up to that standard you go to hell it says there is no fear in love who is love who is love i can't hear you you you're not even convinced about that god jesus he is love and the bible says there is no fear in love you do not repent or you do not feel bad about a wrong doing because there is a punishment attached to it you feel bad because somewhere you have broken your father's heart that is in a relationship that is being in a relationship being in duty will end at oh sunday i have to go to church so saturday i will not sin after sunday is okay no then monday to friday you can live whatever your life you want perfect love come on say that perfect love casteth out fear if there is fear in you right now come on can you close your eyes can you close your eyes can you pray if there is fear in you a fear that is not reverential that is not motivated out of love towards god i command that fear to leave this place right now in the name of jesus in the name of jesus come against that fear that makes you dutiful come against that fear that that keeps you from having a relationship with your heavenly father i want to have a relationship father god when i say father i don't want to to sound like a cliche i don't want to sound like a good christian i want to sound like your son who means it when he calls out abba i am sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry because i hurt you I'm sorry because you had plans for me. I'm sorry because you have a a hope for me. Just like my earthly parents have. They made big plans for me. And like that you have a plan for me. I seem to be running away because I want to fulfill what I think is right. I pray that you would fill me with perfect love. Can you repeat that? There is no fear in love. But perfect love casteth out fear. You know what the verse says? It says because fear hath punishment whereas fear that is not made no that 
fear hath punishment and he that feareth is not made perfect in love you don't understand what love is if you fear punishment third thing obedience what motivates you to obey what motivates you to obey now this is the anti climax of repentance repentance was based on punishment obedience is based on his promises that if i obey i will get something from him that is a beggar that is not a child of god if i put tight my uh, my granaries will be overflowing if i keep my sabbath i will be accepted by god if i obey my parents i will live a long life what if i don't do any of this and again that whole cycle of running away running away i am running away from god why because my obedience is matters to me only as long as i get something from him and that is called being a prostitute you will perform as long as you are paid for it there is no scope of intimacy 1 john chapter 5 verse 33 20, sorry 1 john chapter 5 verses 2 and 3 my my bad 1 john chapter 5 verses 2 and 3 hereby we know that we love the children of god when we love god and keep his commandments next to us for this is the love of god that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous you know when you grieve in obeying when it is something that is against your desire and so all of these long lists of rules and regulations become heavy on you become grievous for you because you want to get something done and this is not i can't do this but if it was motivated out of love and not out of a reward only pets do that they'll do tricks for you for treats you're not a pet you're a child of god if your obedience is based on your acceptance from god you're in a duty you're not in a relationship and on the same lines works your good works your good works you do to please god yeah all your good works your giving arms your taking care of uh, of uh, you know widows and orphans and your uh, all the good works that you do you are doing in an attempt that god gets to accept you that is duty god has already accepted you because he is in a relationship 
no matter if you're drooling, no matter if you have grey hair, no matter what you look like from the inside, God has already accepted you. You don't need to do something to feel good about yourself. You don't need to do something for, to make God feel good about yourself. Those are both being in a state of duty. When you're in a relationship, you are fueled by love. You are powered by love. You want to do it because you love God. You love God. You're going to sit at the feet of God. You're going to wake up early keeping your sleep away. You're going you're to keep your work away. You're going to keep your movies away. You're going to keep the things that, 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 that make sense to you, that interest you. You're going to keep all that away. Just like God. I want to worship you. God, I want to hear from you. God, I'm going to be quiet. You're going to be quiet. But I'm still going to enjoy just being with you. That is a relationship. I don't need to hold a banner here saying, I love Priji. I don't need to do that. Because even when we are miles and miles away, when he is traveling, when I am at home, we know that we love each other. And even if it means that, even if there is a time difference, when he is in a different time zone, and I call him, and I wake him up when he is in his deepest sleep, he will still pick up my call, because we are in love. Pick up my call. <laughs> because we are in love. Because we are in a relationship. It is very hard for me to take care of two children at home and see him go away. It is very hard for him to keep me at home, to, to, for, me, for him to say, okay, you take care of the church, I am going to go. It is hard for us. But there is one force because we are in a relationship. There is a force called love that keeps us together. And, and that is exactly what God wants from you. Even, even, even when it is hard, even when you are struggling, can you still say, God, you are more important? Nothing can beat a pregnant woman coming to church. Can I tell you, Rosa, she has come to church every single Sunday. Sasha, she has come to church every single Sunday. Before children, after children. Before the delivery, after the delivery. That is the ultimate of physical exertion. You guys, a headache does not come anywhere close to that. A backache does not come anywhere close to that. If they can come to church and prove a point, so can you. You know why? Because they're in a relationship with God. There are a million reasons why you will not want to come to church. But if you sang, you have overcome the previous Sunday, then that is good enough to pull you out of your bed and bring you all the way here to church. Not so you can put your tithe, not so that we can put attendance for you, but for you to tell God, I am in a relationship with you. I don't know about the other person, I am in a relationship with you. You know Penas, she had a cast on her foot and there was no lift and she could hardly bend her foot and she hopped. 
Headache is nowhere close to that. A 102 degree fever is nowhere close to a person hopping up three floors to be here in the presence of God. I'm challenging you today. If you can wake up five minutes before you actually do and you make yourself available in church five minutes before you generally do, that will be a big statement to God saying, I'm in a relationship with you. This life is done. I am done living like a prostitute. I want to be a lover. And the last thing, what does God mean to you in your emptiness or in your silence? What does God mean to you in your silence? You know, there are times when you don't feel like God is around. There are times when God does not whisper anything nice to you. There are times when you don't see God at work. Give me the last verse. Not the last verse actually. Romans chapter 8 verse 16. This is the time when God is silent in your life. The Spirit Himself beareth witness with our spirit that we are children of God. This is feeling versus conviction. Do you feel like a child of God? You may not. You may, you may not. But your conviction tells you that the Spirit bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. Be ye free from the love of money, content with such things as ye have, for himself hath said, I will in no... What version is this that I, I myself cannot make sense of? Is there another word, a version? NLT? Wait. Yeah. Okay. Okay. For God has said, never will I leave you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. This is feeling versus conviction. When that news that you tie on the fan is about to go over your head, when that shot that you're about to take, that you're going to put into your veins, that glass that you're going to have, because everything seems hopeless, because God seems far, because God seems distant, because God seems like air, because God seems impossible, because God seems invisible. There is a feeling that is deceptive and there is a conviction that is the truth. And God says, I will never, never, ever leave you nor forsake you.
Because I am in a relationship with you. I don't know about you, but I am in a relationship with you. And I love you with all my heart.